These guys are just dumping their trash outside their shop. You know, and now I'm thinking about taking it home and you're basically hoarding trash. <laughs> you know, like, I, this is mine. I'm taking this with me. Good. Freezing here this morning. Like 21. Wow. Fahrenheit, I didn't. Minus one. Oh, really? Hey, it's that cold. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri, what's minus one in Fahrenheit? Yes. Like 30. Please. Yes. You're going to get there faster. 30 degrees Fahrenheit. 30, okay. Ah, cool. It's really cold. I think you're the opposite season as we are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're getting into warm temperatures. Nice. We have shorts weather going on. Does it snow where you are in winter? Not much, no. Okay. Every once in a while. And then it's a giant problem because there's no like <laughs> facilities for it. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Does that mean you don't have heating in your shop? We only have heating. It gets cold, but not okay. like... Most of the year, we don't need it. <laughs> My arm's going up on its own today. There we go. I've been very slowly working out the window management on the Mac. What have been mm -hmm. one of the most confusing adjustments of just like getting stuff to neatly split screen. I worked out the trick yesterday, but like I just windows everywhere in the workspaces and I keep losing stuff that I've got open and swiping madly until I find what I need. Especially if you have like a customized a Rhino setup or something where you put certain windows on a different screen or Ooh, I don't know, I some people do that. that. Mm. I've never really done that, but I know people that do. Did I spy some batch production on oh, NAC we started, accessories? It's really making enough parts so we could do a decent photo shoot and be able to have, we always just make like a prototype basically of each thing when we're like testing different aspects. This time it was like, let's make three or four of this part and, and that. For the first time, it really looked like they were like, my brain kept going, oh, we sold some. <laughs> There's <laughs> no way. That's what it looked like. Because I often watch stories with no sound on my phone. Yeah. And so I saw like, yeah, this beautiful lineup of, what is that? The cabinet or box? Yeah, we've been calling them like small, medium, smaller, medium boxes. And then there's the slider cabinet opens up with doors. Yeah. What's that? What, what are you using for the doors on that? At this point, we kind of went around and around and we wanted to do metal, powder coated metal that was like kind of prohibitively expensive. So that currently they're going to be frosted acrylic, which I don't, it's okay. I've done it a few other yeah. times, but not my preferred long term. I think it's one of those things that could easily be customized, some type of pattern or just different colors. Have you considered glass? I haven't. No, that's interesting. Glass. Mm. It's interesting. Cheaper than acrylic typically. Really? And yeah, I reckon. And I obviously it's harder to ship. Like there's some challenges with its fragility. But um, I really like it. No, I had not in my mind, it seems way more expensive. I've never even, it's a good idea. You need a hole to open it though. Yeah, we, can, we can't machine it, I guess. That's, that's, you got to get someone to water jet cut it. And... So you can water jet an open, oh, interesting. And then yeah, soften yeah. it somehow too. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. they call it, well, our glazing people call it an aris and a polish. So they cut an aris onto the edge and then polish it. I don't know how. They must have equipment. But yeah, we've, we've done a few little custom projects with glass doors, sliding glass doors and stuff. And doing a job at the moment, which has got reeded glass in it, which is that really nice, like yeah. vertical beaded pattern. Yeah, I'm into it. And I don't know, I've just got this thing in the back of my head of not putting more plastic out into the world. So oh, I'm I trying do to avoid acrylic when I can. But no, I have the exact same thought. That's why I was wanting to do metal. And it was like more mm. than triple the cost quadruple the cost i don't know just i guess there's also the wood it just it doesn't seem you probably can't see it but up there 
There's oh, a couple yeah. versions of it. Looks nice from here. Yeah, it, it could go with a lot of different. We've tried to design that slot. <laughs> it's kind of a curiosity at this point. It can accept quarter inch and eighth inch materials. It has like Ooh. a double layered. Like we saw it in section, it can go deeper on the smaller section. Clever. So you could potentially be able to put, we were hoping to be able to put the metal panel in as a thinner panel that fell down farther. So cool. Don't know if it'll work that well. We've just been using the quarter so far. Does that mean you can, without changing the machining of that those rebates, you can, rabbits, you can um, switch, switch out the door? Yeah, yeah. yeah Wait, do yeah, you nice. know we spell that R A B B E T? I know you spell it differently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so silly. I never <laughs> even thought about any of that until you brought it up. So I basically we've been doing the quarter with a with a slightly widened ball mill, so it has a oh, little nice. bit of a filleting on either side, and then I just added a lower pass with an like a eighth inch end mill, which is like 0.125 inches below that, and it allows the quarter to just kind of ride above it and then i haven't tried anything thinner so we'll find out did you just convert inches to metric i know to decimal inches for me as if that would help yeah yeah nice. yes yeah that's true yeah <laughs> i'm familiar with those sizes we have like the stupid i don't know if you guys have these two but a drill index right like all the different types of drills yeah pull it out so we have like 16 types i swear like I'm just learning about fractional was the only thing that I kind of grew up with, even though I despise fractions. And so I've thought about that a few times lately of just like, I wonder what is it as a metric index, just like every half mil and you just, you never convert anything. It's just such a weird, cause we're constantly even with fractionals. I have to sit there and figure out what the decimal point is on everything. Oh, it's so stupid. Yeah. yeah. I've never thought about that. Mm. I just like to work harder for no reason. Fun. No, I'm familiar with a lot of the smaller imperial stuff because, strangely, a lot of our, like if you go to a hardware store and buy screws here or like basic sort of agri agricultural fasteners, it's pretty much all imperial. Wow. Stupidly. That's and crazy. Same with like drill bits and just basic bits and bobs like you every time a non-american buys one of these they spit on the ground when they pick it up they're like <laughs> stupid americans um, i would switch in a heartbeat but yeah anyway uh, good to see yeah. some that stuff coming yeah on. for sure oh on that note while we're still there I, br I brought these out again i think i shared them a while back but we were trying to work on kits justin shows jim his knack wall miniatures oh so cute knack walls is that a scale model yeah, like eighth inch. Something worked out so that you could basically, you know, fit it just perfectly. I had to scale some of it to print right, but they function. That's super cute. Brought me back to architectural models. That one's just taped on. It's awesome. It's really useful, actually. One of our employees a couple months ago brought one home because his, his partner loves miniature things. And I was like, yeah. see if they can bring up some kind of nice kit for us. And so I <laughs> brought it home for the weekend. That's cool. Yesterday, we had a, an all-hands marketing meeting. Oh, yeah. Whenever we have Zoom meetings, because Sarah, our business manager, works remotely. She's in Melbourne. We're all in Castlemaine, which is about an hour and a quarter drive away. Yeah. So we have weekly Zoom meetings, and the audio quality on these, like, whatever they are, standard webcams, just it's terrible, particularly mm -hmm. for capturing a table full of people. Yes. So I've been using the 
little Rode wireless go microphones, which I yeah. use for this. It sound like honey, apparently. My wife says um, the same, so it's not just Joe. <laughs> I started using the meetings because I've got two of them and I made these little like threaded pegboard microphone stands yesterday that the mic clips into. Nice. It's got felt for acoustic insulation and it sits on the table and there's two of them. So everyone can like sit around the table and be mic'd up reasonably well. Yeah, it works really well. I've yeah. Ne never had such good outgoing audio in Zoom calls. Awesome. That's pretty great. Anyway, little but I have, there. You probably have similar experiences. A lot of my Zoom over the pandemic was with like, I don't know, people that don't do content making. I'd have like a light and like a yeah. nice microphone <laughs> and this this camera's actually pretty good and they'd be like wow this is amazing when you record yourself for the internet yeah so have you made progress on your shooting plans i have a model that i've been working on of i'll just show you because it's 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 entertaining because it's so simple but the idea is to just build this little faux wall that's nice. like 12 feet by four feet so it's like each one of those is a standard size panel of material and then we'll just paint it because yep. we're just going to use my friend's space and luckily our mounting bracket should fit perfectly on these studs in the back and so we can just switch the panel either way hopefully and then also oh, yeah, have cool. one over here on the left Sweet. i think that's gonna work the trick was like i'm gonna attempt to paint some like MDF clad plywood stuff that's kind of interesting. I was just trying to figure out how that would work and how to assemble it. You don't have to do a ton of like finishing and but other than that, I haven't gotten a whole lot farther on kind of the logistics side first. Yeah. Cool. I, Looks your good. shoot seemed like it was a success. Yeah, it was good. Still did that classic thing of, you know, hour and a half in, just getting kind of sucked down a particular path without thinking critically enough and i find whenever i shoot it takes me a while to get warmed up and like get the flashes where i want them and the shot's yes. not looking terrible and it's like cool all right now we're at a point where things it's like it was already lunchtime and we we're just at that point where things started looking good mm -hmm. or i was happy with the, the direction but just that classic thing of like you're shooting a product and you're like, oh, we need something for it. Yeah, cool. You just grab whatever's like within arm's reach. You put it in and like start shooting that. You've got to sort of stop, which is very hard to do and go, why is that random object relevant to this standing desk that I'm shooting? Uh -huh. That's like that um, thing I was telling you last week about showing my wife something. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did this one rendering in school. I had a soccer ball in, in some space and it was just like, I don't know, I could find it on the internet to put into the rendering. What's that doing there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the equivalent of GrabCAD. It's like, what's in the room that I can quickly put in this shoot? So I think my advice would be do a little bit of planning around props if you haven't. <laughs> because we didn't do enough last week. So we've got these funny shots of like kid parts with just like this really random mix of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the, sh the shots look okay. Overall, really happy with the shoot. But yeah, there's some weird props in there for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't done that. Do you have like a dedicated space set up for this? No, I pulled my... kind of got a shared office. Yeah. The few of us in there, I just gutted my end of it. And pulled everything out of the way and then we set up uh backdrop papers and yeah. i've worked in that in that corner that was one of my plans when we built the new workshop was to have a dedicated photo space that was always just ready to roll and you could just push a project in there and the flashes would be there and you just shoot and document quickly and get it out the door but space 
has a way of filling up and uh, collecting junk. So the area that we initially planned to be the photo area would just chronically be overrun with other things. And so it mm. became quite an effort to clear it out, yeah, get ready for a shoot. Yeah. And then, you know, a few years later, that space became such a premium that we ended up putting, you know, part storage and racking in there. So that mm-hmm. wall's now gone and, you know, kind of working yeah. our way through the building. We do have a little room upstairs, which I've done a little bit of shooting in, which probably needs sort of a half day's work, just like clear, reorganize, clear a whole bunch of stuff out of it and could actually become quite a nice dedicated shooting spot. But the only issue with that is it's upstairs. So trying to get larger projects up there is not sort of mm. feasible. Like if yeah. we built some beautiful custom cabinet for someone, we're not going to forklift it up there just for a photo shoot. I could see your style, especially just like pulling that off, putting it in the middle of the, the shop and everybody's like racing around and you just have this mm. one nice piece of furniture mm. in the center, like blurred out people going nice around. Idea. I really love shooting in the dark and with tightly controlled light lighting mm-hmm. conditions like i think that's just a habit i've developed from having had some form of you know it started off as an art studio when laura my wife ran art studios in melbourne that's where our workshop was i had like a dedicated art studio space where i mm-hmm. shot photo work and so they had no natural lighting so i became quite addicted to studio flashes at that point and so i've always liked shooting in really tightly controlled light we used to make animations and short films and things and so that uh-huh. kind of all tied into this style of shooting where I like block out the windows and just like yeah have complete control over the lighting conditions if you're up to it I'd love to hear mm-hmm. some more about your shop and I feel like this is this is leading right into it I, I just love to hear the story of how you got to building your own shop because I feel like that's pretty cool in itself okay can I refill my coffee really quick put that coffee down I know this is naughty non-standard coffee's for closers only mm, so workshop 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 okay so we were renting obviously in melbourne for a long time but we had the benefit of laura laura and i started like butter together and at some point when it became a thing one of us had to quit our day job and actually focus on the business and so that ended up being me laura was still very much involved but at some point took up sort of more of a backseat to focus on her art practice because she's a sculptor. Mm. But then she started this parallel business of running art studios where she'd rent out these huge spaces in old industrial buildings and we'd build walls and divvy them up. And so Like Butter always had workshops within those Mm. art studio complexes, which allowed Like Butter to kind of grow quite organically. Like we start with a small room, small workshop, and then as we got busy, we're like, oh, actually we'll take on next door and kind of shift and morph and... Anyway, about probably 2016, 2017, we started thinking about whether we could, we were always in these old buildings that had demolition clauses on them. So the security on the leases wasn't great. Like there was always kind of this overhanging sense of like, at some point we're going to have to move out of this building because the rent was so cheap. Uh There were all the kind of sites that were going to get developed. Anyway, so we started looking around to see what we could rent that would be more secure or or if potentially even if we could afford to buy something. And we ended up in a spot where we got pre-approval on a loan for this industrial site in northern Melbourne 
for like a stupid amount of money and commercial loans work in this funny way where they kind of don't expect the business to ever pay it off. Like it almost works like rent. Oh. So I got approval on this like $1.6 million loan yeah. to buy this factory and we just kind of stopped and thought thankfully and we're like, we're going to be in debt until we're like 70. Like this is crazy. Yeah. What are we doing? And thankfully aborted that. I was chatting to a friend who had already done the country move. He mm-hmm. moved out of the city with his beehives and started his honey business off in the country somewhere else. We we're at a point where we'd done some rough pricing on building our own factory in the country, our own shed basically, versus this $1.6 million investment in the city. And I was chatting to him about it. He was like, Jem, the price difference between those two is huge. Think about how many robots that is. He's, he's an engineer Sold. and he's into his CNCs <laughs> as well. I was like, oh, yeah, wow, that is a lot of robots. Anyway, yeah. Laura and I had been thinking about moving up to Castlemaine in the country, which is where I grew up and Laura grew up not that far away. So we've got parents around here and wanted to do the country move for having kids and things like that. We ended up buying this really cheap little plot of land in Castlemaine that was kind of subsidised by the council because they were trying to encourage mm. small businesses to move here and develop. Yep. We're in a little funny little industrial park um, with only a couple of other businesses here. But the land, yeah, land was really cheap. Building a factory from scratch whilst it was cheaper than that $1.6 million in the city was still a really expensive operation. And so we're going to be, you know, the good good amount of debt to pay down. But it was effective. What I say to people in the short story is like, it was cheaper for us to make the move and build a factory from scratch than it was going to be to rent, continue to rent in the city. Yeah. So once we worked that out, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, we want to move to the country. It's going to be cheaper mm-hmm. for us to build. What you know, what an opportunity to be able to build a shed from scratch and make it how we want. That's kind of how we ended up. I think, yeah, 2019 was when we moved in. It's been, yeah, three years now. You're just mm-hmm. right sure. before the pandemic. That, that worked out good. Right before. Perfect, yeah. Not like right yeah, in the middle. Furniture got shut down in Melbourne during the pandemic. Like people weren't allowed to go to work for a while there. Jeez. So we got really lucky having already made the move and been clear up here. Did you have employees yes. move distances? Yeah, we did. yeah, yeah. Yep. A lot of our key staff relocated. We mm-hmm. lost a couple of the younger ones who were used who were still in uni or kind of more committed yeah. to their city lives. But a lot of the more senior staff all made the country move as well and sarah stayed on in melbourne as our business manager so we've still got a little location in melbourne where she works and where customers can pick up jobs and product and things like that nice but yeah it's worked really well we were definitely nervous about the move like we were so our whole customer base was very melbourne centric at that stage Mm. and we didn't really know what was going to happen it's only an hour and a half away but still you know, thankfully, it worked out really well. We haven't, didn't have any issues with having sort of relocated. There's a few logistical challenges with getting certain materials here and getting mm. stuff back out again, but we've kind of we've worked through a lot of that and it's all pretty seamless now. That's nice. That's about the only way I've ever imagined being able to afford something, probably more money than that now because at the time, and I don't know what the conversion is between our real estate situations. Every time I've half thought, that we're not even close to the revenue to be building something, but I'm just like, I hate renting. Maybe we could buy a building or, you know, like something. And it's just an absurd proposition in the city for us anyway. That's cool. I am glad to hear the story. 
I, I mean, there's a lot of other aspects to it. I think you're cool. The, just your efforts towards sustainability, I think you really need to. Yeah, we've got a few things going on. It, has, it was a really nice feeling when we were installing our spray booth and I got to cut a huge hole in the wall. I was like, this is our wall and I can <laughs> cut a hole in it. Just those little things of, you know, investing in rooftop solar because it was our roof and we could do that. And yeah. We put 33 kilowatts of solar on the roof and a three-phase inverter and it means that while we're still grid connected over the course of the year we're pretty much net zero in terms of power mm. usage where wow. typically we feed a lot more back into the grid on average over the year than we use wow does that um, have any type of like were there like incentives at all for a business to do that kind of thing Nah. <laughs> nah. Solar incentives used to be really good here. Like you got used to get paid quite a lot per kilowatt to feed back into the grid. But since it's become much more popular to have rooftop solar, that's all whittled mm. down to almost nothing. But that's yeah, that's never been our interest in sort of making yeah, yeah. money on power. It's it's offsetting what we use is our yeah. key incentives. But it's also allowed us to do other funny side projects, which you might have seen, like the sawdust compost stuff. So like right down one side of the factory, we've got like two years of dust extractor sawdust piled up slowly composting away and we mix like food scraps and garden waste and stuff into it and it's a pretty ineffective compost system like compost is such a fine art art and uh science which i don't really understand but we have done experiments to try and deal with all the sawdust that we generate because it's pretty much our biggest waste waste in terms of what was going in the bin so we haven't put sawdust in the bin really for about two and a half years, maybe two years. Holy moly. And we've had the guy from the local community, he took a bunch of it away for about six months, he was making garden paths with it, but pretty much everything else we've cold composted. And last year, I think, I've lost track of time, Re relatively recently we had it lab tested to see what mm -hmm. had happened to all the glues because everyone was like, can't compost plywood sawdust because it's full yeah. of full of formaldehyde and blah, blah, blah. We're like, cool, let's try it. And so we took a sample of our most mature compost and sent, sent a bucket of it away to be lab tested. And the report came back really good. All the, the nasty stuff had broken down. So, and there were a few like copper and zinc, I think were a little bit high, but it was still within safe levels to be used in decorative gardens and wow. stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not probably not food creation, but like, other yeah. non-food related things? Non-food stuff. The advice was probably not in a garden eating out of every day, but otherwise pretty safe. That's amazing. That's been fun. We're kind of at the our max like volume now. We can't really, we don't have space for any more sawdust out there. The what do you do then? Uh, like remove it and start yeah, I'm again? Think, I'm thinking about taking it all home. To be honest, we've got land and either start a sort of mini industrial composting facility at home <laughs> or invest in some sort of machine that could deal with it here more effectively because mm -hmm. like, it's cold compost that takes ages to break down whereas yeah. if we could potentially come up with some sort of heated barrel hot composting system we could maybe deal with our weekly sawdust buy an old cement mixer truck and just have it <laughs> rotate with the heat inside well, it's funny yeah. i was going to make a joke but it's, it's such a noble effort that I was like, well, maybe I won't, but now I'm going to. The, 
you're talking about like lining the side of your shop with just like heaps of basically what other people consider trash. In a different scenario in the States, I can imagine somebody reporting you, right? Like these guys are just dumping their trash outside their shop, you know? And, the, and you're like, now I'm thinking about taking it home and you're basically hoarding trash. You know, like, ah, this is mine. I'm taking this with me. Yeah, I've thought about that because it's not an amazing look, but I think it makes sense. We, we do, we do seed it with green manure, which is, I was, I was never familiar with that term, but it's like a farming thing. I think where oh, you yeah. seed it with like mustard seed and fast growing greens, and then that shoots up really fast. And then you're supposed to break it back down into the compost or the soil to <laughs> help sort of revitalize it so we plant it out with green manure which keeps it looking kind of garden-y like neater yeah and a bit more a bit less like a pile of trash and more like a garden but uh, <laughs> just like trash bags sticking out oh yeah that's a that's cool super cool maybe it's more common there i guess for this kind of thing to happen but i've brought this up to other people even before we started doing the podcast about some of the things you're doing especially at the the compost and it it's always really impactful Whenever I talk about it with somebody else, they're always like, wow, you can do that? Like, that's so cool. At least here, that's not common. And I would love to see more of it because I have friends here too that we live in this kind of let's recycle or compost everything culture. But mm. yet there's certain things you just don't even consider. And that definitely was one of them. But it'd be cool to make some type of facility or opportunity for that to happen because that's probably the same. I mean, other than offcuts, which we can always, I always try to put out on craigslist for free oh, whenever cool. we have enough yep. we just instead of throwing away anything that's mildly reusable because we got a lot of artists that want the tiniest pieces right like we'll have a repetitive scrap piece and we just stack them up we just post it up and it's like come get it and it's gone within hours usually right so could that's be a cool. thing i thought about that with your if you want to get rid of your dirt right i don't know if this is a thing for you there maybe somebody wants it for like fill material i don't know yeah 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 no, that's a good idea. We, our sort of mm, smaller scale offcuts that aren't useful to us, that, you know, an artist or someone might still appreciate, we donate to the local men's shed, which is this nationwide scheme. It's kind of like maker space oh. for the old guys. <laughs> like if it was called a maker space, I think they'd attract way more people, but it's called men's shed, which is kind of off-putting. But anyway... They're all over the country. Some old dude turns up in a ute and picks up our remnants every month. Oh, there's a local prison as well, which has like a wood shop that takes mm. a lot of them at the moment. But it's been good. But yeah, we don't have Craigslist here, but we've got, you know, equivalents. Really? It's a good, it's a good idea putting stuff like that up. It's always surprising what is and isn't common between mm. us. <laughs> I, I can't get over the makerspace for old guys. <laughs> I hope that's their tagline. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think if I'd love with the compost, I'd love to be able to create a recipe for you or, you know, any oh, other Oh, that'd be cool, yeah. To be able to go, cool, we've worked out this system, it's a safe result, and if you do it like this, you'll get this output. That'd be That's kind of what I'm working towards. Yeah. Basically. I, I suppose a lot of that has to do with how nasty the incoming part is, how totally. terrible the glues were. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure For like real. that if you if I had to guess and if they're not lying about it, which I don't know what they would, but like the <laughs> States Industries uses like soy based glues and I think the Garnica uses soy based glues. So I would imagine a lot of that stuff has got to be better. I would hope. That's, <laughs> a, 
that sounds better than what we're dealing with, to be honest. I think because you're in California, right? Oregon. No, Oregon. I always get those two confused. <laughs> I think I think you've got better. Almost, I've some of the stuff I've heard about sounds like you've got better regulations around chemicals wow. and stuff. That's shocking. Potentially, maybe, oh. maybe. Specifically, California does. They're basically okay. like one of the largest countries in the world as a state, you know, in population. And they're also, they've got this bent, which I appreciate, but there's a whole, a lot of other people that do not. They, they're such a big factor in the economy here that if, and they're pretty liberal. So if they go, Hey, we're going to make the gas mileage necessary for cars, this level, it changes the whole country. There's all these different things that you'll see all the time. Like the state of California deems this to be carcinogenic. Yeah, well, I see that on router bits. Like if I yeah. buy Onsrud router bits, yeah. it's got this thing about California on it. That's like, oh, kind of wow. why there's such a big impact that like manufacturers will turn what they need to do because there's 40 or 50 million people there. Holy. It's, it's huge. Yeah, it's a huge state. Wow. Amazing. Cool. Well, thanks for telling me about that a little bit. I always wondered some of those things and you do a pretty good job of posting about it. I haven't dug through your website too much. I oh, was just curious yeah. to hear more. There's always more to share. Yeah. The next next step is to burn it. Heat heat our shop. Seems to be well, one of the things that one of the major wood shops here, they're like, I just do a lot of wood processing, but it's not like straight from the log. It's like more fine woodworking. But they have a pucker, Mm -hmm. like a brick making machine. And so they've got this like giant dust collection system and funnel and it gets certain amounts of it i don't really understand it filters and it goes down to the pucker and when you're in there it's just like pumps out a brick of solid wood and then i think they sell them yeah yeah yeah. again when it's plywood it's harder but yeah there's definitely a market for briquettes yeah for fire but there's a guy in town here who's a bit of a like sustainability guru dude and he makes these sawdust burning stove (laughs) sawdust burning heaters brought one around for a demo recently and we put our plywood sawdust in it and we tested it and it burns beautifully like ultra efficient zero smoke out of the top of it yeah. beautiful little thing i'd love to build one to heat the workshop or make like a heated drying room for the spray booth or something but i don't think our insurance broker would mm-hmm. want anything to do with a a shop made fire source yeah for sure that's so, tough. i don't know yeah Thinking about, I was imagining the scenario where somebody could buy their kit apart shelves and then they could also get a briquette of the sawdust that was o- overfill, like to, <laughs> the, what it was made from. And you could partner with this guy and he could also, you could co sell them a furnace that also could burn their sawdust. <laughs> Full circle. Gold. It was so cold at home last night. I was like desperately, we'd run out of firewood and I was looking around the house and I was kind of, my eyes caught the kidder parts in the corner. I was like, Ooh, look at all that nice dowel. That'll burn well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I did these iMac bases by myself, a lot of them in the middle of the pandemic. And it was just like one of the most stressful, but somewhat therapeutic to just work on a bunch of them. I learned a lot of like how to finish better and all those kind of things. So there's a lot of bad ones. And so <laughs> when it came around to the summertime, we had a fire pit in the back. We'd have friends over, you know, it's kind of safely outside. They'd be like, what are you burning? And I'm like, it's my pain from eight months ago. Don't worry about it. Burn it to grade firewood. It's the best. <laughs> K- kiln dried. Yeah. 
Could you yeah. do something with that? I was like, yes, it's keeping us warm. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's funny when I because we burn little kid parts off carts and it's like seeing this like glowing ember of threaded dowel in the fire. It's this beautiful little object burning away. It is disturbing to see. In some sense, it's also really cool to see like. I've burned off cuts for a long time at home just to see something that's cut by like a CNC router. You've got these like yeah. perfect shapes <laughs> and it's like, what is that doing in a fire? <laughs> yeah. Other than selling your off cuts on Craigslist, how do you deal with, do you have a good system for dealing with remnants? I wouldn't, wouldn't put it past you to have like some system in Airtable where you know exactly like the quarter sheet that you've got left over from. That's why I make that no money. Ago. <laughs> make no money. I just spend all my time categorizing offcuts. <laughs> no, I'm pretty happy, and it takes the right people that maybe have similar mindset about how to deal with it. But our last shaft was so small that a lot of our offcuts just piled up all over things to the point where it tipped over one of our cabinets. <laughs> it was too much leaning against it because it so, we didn't have any walls. Basically, like two walls. Right was in a shared space so that necessitated when we moved in here i was like we can't do this kind of hoarder pile stacking of wood and so i spent me and a couple other people that i kind of started the process we built a scrap rack that was basically like here's where the scrap goes if it doesn't fit here it's got to go out mm-hmm. and that was usually the the mentality it's changed a little bit since we kind of took the full space over it's still the same idea of you know, if we can use it and the kind of plywood scarcity has changed some of our mentality too, with it's gotten so expensive. We're like, well, we can use this a piece this big, you know, whereas before yeah, it yeah. was like out. I don't know, trying to stack things in a way that you, if you can't see all of it, in my opinion, you're never going to use all of it. Like if it's layered in depth. So mm-hmm. that was kind of part of our design of We'd probably have a lot different scale problems, though. I'm assuming you make a lot more scrap than we do or have a place to... You have the opportunity to store more of it, I bet. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily a good thing. Yeah, right? No, we had similar thinking of, like, when we moved into the new workshop, we made a dedicated spot in the racking. It's like, these two bays are the only spot where remnants should go, and once it's full, out. And it's, yeah, certainly really helped developing that relationship with the make a space for old guys because they do take all that little stuff that was previously pretty junky and would pile yep. up in weird piles around the workshop that goes out the door now so yeah it's not too bad we've all everybody most everybody i've had work here including myself i'm probably the worst i have a lot of like guilt about getting rid of anything material wise like mm. that i'm like oh that's useful i can you know what if we glued it all up and made a weird you know <laughs> Nobody ever does that. So I think that was the biggest change for us was finding what we felt was somewhat responsible way to get rid of it instead of just the dumpster. And that changed more than anything how much we had sitting around. I think that we can very reliably post almost anything scrap wise on Craigslist and it disappears. So whatever your version of that is like something where you Mm. can post and say, here's free material and that. That changed our scrap scenario a lot, I think, because we would we definitely keep a lot more on hand. But in our rainy months, it's kind of crappy here because it's like we don't want to put it out in the rain. We, we end up with more scrap inside for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you categorize or store yours in a certain way? There is a task on our weekly cleaning roster 
like a random cleaning roster name generator in Airtable that pings off in Slack every Wednesday morning. Huh. So it's always someone's job to do a bit of a sort to the offcut area. And so it's basically just pulling stuff out and recombining it with its friends of like putting all the birch together and putting all the hoop pine together and stuff like that. Still becomes a bit of a, like a little tipping danger zone OHS mm-hmm. issue very quickly. But yeah, it's reasonably sorted. You can kind of walk up to it and go, I need a bit of radiata 18 mil somewhere there and grab something out. So yeah, it's all right. Do those kind of tasks actually get done like every week? Somebody actually yeah. does that task? Yeah. Reasonably well. Yeah. So I found the biggest improvement to actually getting stuff done was being ultra specific. Yeah. When we introduced the rolling roster. Yeah. When we introduced that cleaning roster last year, the tasks were quite broad. It was like, or there were slashes in it. It was like offcut slash blur, whatever, spray booth, say, just for example. If tasks were slashed or not specific enough, stuff wouldn't get done. But by making stuff ultra specific. Yeah. I think it's very clear for people of like, that's what I'm doing. Cool. Okay, I'll go and do that. And that that worked really well. And we I had a chore list similar to this. What at my peak of things were organized and smooth and yeah. running well. And we had probably the <laughs> most common roster of people too. And it worked for like six to eight months. And then somebody left and the pandemic hit and it just went out the mm. window. And I've never Gone. gotten it yeah. back to, you know, the right state. But I yeah, I get what you're saying, though. That's how I work the best when things are hyper-specific like that, too. Where if there's oh, too, too many, yeah. like, clean, you know, shop, it's never going to get done. Whatever no. that was. Yeah, it was around the same time when I re- made that realization for myself as well. Like, when I wrote to-do lists or task lists for myself, I was like, no, that cannot be a slash task, like, because I won't do it. It has to be specific. But with the cleaning stuff, I wonder about the economics of it, of, like, the whole production team downing tools for it's only half an hour but you know then half an hour turns into 35 40 minutes every week what does that cost in lost productivity versus you know just paying a professional to come in and clean the toilets and clean the kitchen and yeah i've definitely thought about that it sounds like your your business coach is really rubbing off what's this is that the person that always <laughs> pushes you on the productivity time no i don't know yeah probably i'm sure it is rubbing off at some level, yeah, it definitely is. But I, I feel that. like that's something I've thought about for a while. Of yeah, it's a, it's always a tricky balance of production output versus paying for stuff. The thing I've always wanted that I feel like would pay great dividends is those mm. little. Have you seen the shop version of the Makita Roomba? I almost bought one last week. <laughs> I know uh, a woodworker here. He does pretty well, and he has two of them. One what? went down, and he bought another one. Whoa. <laughs> it's a pretty small shop, but that one in particular just makes so much sense to me. Like, I've heard they're kind of stupid. They're no Roomba just in terms of intelligence, but oh, they sure. do pick yeah, up yeah. quite a bit of stuff. I've been kind of teasing forever. I'll post something on Instagram. Who wants to crowdfund buying one of these? I'll torture <laughs> test it for you. Yeah, I came so close to buying one the other week because Sarah business manager was away um, on, hol- <laughs> on holiday for a week and i was like what am i gonna buy this week that i can reconcile through the account that she just won't see and like i had the the makita robovac open on my browser all week and i couldn't quite justify it 
myself. But yeah, I'd love one of those. You know, it would be a morale boost, right? Like, oh, it's yeah. it's one for like the a team. Shop, shop dog. Yeah, Driving except around. we don't have to feed it and yeah. sweep up after it. <laughs> oh, that doesn't remind me of a funny anecdote. Another week when Sarah was on holiday, just random timing, but. I was on Grimsmo's Saga pen list. You know, Grimsmo's lottery system. Yep. Had an email pop up for a Saga, and I was like, oh, Oh. it's the first time I've ever been offered a Grimsmo product. Also, I can't turn turn this down. So I bought this beautiful pen, which once converted to Australian dollars is like quite quite an expensive pen. But. And it just happened to fall through the accounts in this week that Sarah was away. I was like, cool, I'll just reconcile that away into office expenses. And Sarah had made some comment the week before, like joked that Sarah loves office supplies, always has a very mm. well-equipped like stationary cupboard. And she'd made some joke about stationary is always urgent and important. I was like, mm, I'll remember that. And then you put that the in the memo w- in zero. I did. I put it in the notes <laughs> in zero as I reconciled this like, $500 Grimsmo pen. Yeah. I don't think she's ever found it. I'm assuming she doesn't listen to this. I don't know. I think she's listened to some of them. Yeah, she will now. I'm sure somebody she will send it to her. <laughs> I won't do it. I don't know, Sarah. What's happening in the background there? Fun thing? That's our table saw. It's pretty close to the office. I don't know. Ricky. Ricky's the wizard of the table saw, so he's always using it for something. Nice. He's building, actually, which is pretty cool. I'll have to share something. I think he came up with the idea... It was like in between the idea of like a display for the knack wall to put it at a show like that maker's market I was talking about. We were coming up with how would we do this? Should it be mobile? Should it not? And we kind of jettisoned the mobile thought of just like that's too much to figure out. But then as he's finishing all of these, you know, boxes, we're like, well, where the heck are we going to put all these finished goods? Where do they go? Mm. And we don't really have like a clean room or a packaging for them. The only clean room, in fact, is our bathroom. In this room. That looks pretty clean in there. In this room, yeah. we've always kept finished parts in the bathroom because <laughs> it's it's very low use, right? Like, we're all awesome. pretty cool with that. So he's building this mobile off of, like, panels we can't use because they've changed dimensions a little bit. Uh-huh. He's building a mobile version of a knack wall with two sides so we can nice. hang stuff on it and then roll it away to, to, like, either store or basically, like, a finish rack. That's kind of interesting. Cool. Definitely not necessary but kind of in a way because we couldn't figure out where to put all that stuff yeah cool what's ricky's background i think just did a lot of woodworking and making and then i think he was working in a shop locally that did sign work like making signs and they got a cnc or something like that and they're and he either got offered or volunteered to learn how to run it and did that for quite a while and i found him in the pandemic he's looking for a job cool and I'm not letting go because he's, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. Hold on to the good ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my one. I was I like to Don't, accidentally no. lose. Oh, no. I'm avoiding that. What? My uh, good friend Chester loaned me this Ooh. today. Don't you have one of those? I have one and I sheared off the hot end tip. Oh, trying to change it. Sitting on a Prusa, and I thought that doesn't look good. Tried to upgrade it to a hardened steel version. It was supposed to be a quality upgrade, and I just wrenched off the brass one, and it's stuck in the end. So now I've got parts coming. But otherwise, I would be printing more of the baby pants. Yeah. 
but I went for an oil change and I ended up with an engine swap, I guess. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the world is waiting for baby pants in the mail. Yeah, I know. I'm trying. I'm try- Luckily, Chester's a, Chester and Marshall, they own MC Laser Labs and I've been friends with them for a while, but they, I was cool. messaging him about, about my complaints because I knew he had changed his tip. I was like, did you do this? And he's like, no, I didn't break off the tip he's like actually we're leaving for you know a little vacation you want to borrow ours that's like yes sweet <laughs> yeah same My. model as yours as your process yeah yeah cool yeah is that the the mark three or whatever it is uh-huh mks three yeah. i think there's nice. a plus sign in there too there's just so many things to buy <laughs> yeah you got a pen or a printer that was your choice <laughs> yes I know. What's your plan? What are you doing? What's my plan? This I need week. a plan. But look, I had a big win on the pencil sharpener, getting oh, yeah, double-ended yeah. kit parts machined. So I need to revisit some of that code. I got it running and the parts falling into the box. I was like, oh, fantastic. This is great. I walked away. I came back a minute later and it like crashed and the saw blade was like jammed halfway through the stock. And huh. it's a couple of weeks glitchy code things going on which i can't work out i don't know if it's just my messy code and the control is like doesn't make sense code should be binary it should either work or not work but there's a couple of things that happen sometimes that like it just stops mid-program doing why and then i'll go in and look at it and like fiddle fiddle and then it comes good and anyway so i don't know need to play with that a bit more before it's fully production ready We've got a glitch in our controller, as far as I can tell, where all of a sudden, of the shop saber, it'll, it's done this forever. Like, if you restart the program sometimes, it'll, like, restart, and the plunge that should be a rapid plunge will just be, like, super slow. Like, it goes to, like, 1%. Ours does this, too. What? On Trinity. What is that? I I always put it down to a fusion post issue. Okay, maybe it is then, but it's only on restarts, right, for us. Mm. And then it kind of sticks for a while, and I don't know why. Like, it'll be, like, the rest of the day oh, until wow. something. I don't I don't know, but... Robots shouldn't be able to do that. It's, like, kind of selective. Yeah, ours, ours has a really similar glitch where certain geometry, depending on where you put the start point in Fusion, it'll go to cut, like, a set of parts on a sheet, and they all cut fine, and then it goes to this one part. And depending on how you place the lead in is the best thing we've put it down to at this stage. It goes down to, yeah, like 1% feed override mm. or something like crazy slow feed rate, just like burns up cutters if you don't catch it. Really weird. The other weird glitch of our post-processor for the shop saver is if you happen to put too many of the feed rates, I believe it's like the ramp and the feed rate and the some other one, if they're all the same, so they're all like 100 it will just default to full speed on everything. <laughs> it like doesn't put in enough F, you know, whatever's. It just goes ham 800 inches a minute and somehow never have broken anything, but well, it's just funny. kind of this weird quirk you got to like go in and you got to make it one different. Have you done any post-processor editing? Are you yeah. up to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. A lot of like... You wouldn't be surprised. It's basically like making it prettier and like having more information <laughs> in the header. And like every yeah, time nice. there's a program change, it now puts the title of the program in. Oh, lovely. Stuff like that. That my next one, I just did the same. I think Saunders talked about this. I put last thing I did was I put the time of the post in the like when it was posted. Yep. As the change log time isn't always quite accurate. 
And then the next thing I want to do is potentially put the file name, like the fusion file. I would love to put cool. that in the post because sometimes we have too many files and I can't find where it came from. Yeah. Especially after a year. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. How about cool. you? Don't you that? Mm, not really confident with that level of code. I've opened my post processes and dug through them made a few little cosmetic changes but yeah not confident to make sort of useful changes yet but i'd love to do more with it i mean it's obvious but i usually run i don't i, I label it draft when i throw it in a few like so people could use it potentially in the cloud and <laughs> then only yeah, nah. everything else is set to active or like a like a approved yeah. version until it's been tested a little bit but i have been a little loose with that <laughs> like, huh, I added this cool new thing and I immediately want everybody to use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to get more more confident with coding stuff. Saunders' videos are pretty helpful. Yeah. I think are. that's probably what I've looked through. I have notes on going back to it. And mm. then I'm like, oh yeah, that's how you make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm documenting all the stuff to do with tool changes and height offsets in the pencil sharpener at the moment, so Every time I go to do it, I've completely forgotten because it's really kooky how I set the tools and offsets in it. Tool, yeah. I'm trying That's to very interesting. all of that at the moment. I, I would like to request a better video of the Pencher Sharpener double under working because yeah, I felt like I got I big time like teased for whatever <laughs> the video was. I was like, no, there's not enough. It stopped. It's like the pressure washing videos when they don't show the end. I was like, what? It's only the beginning. I better for some. Okay. Can do. Well, I gotta go pick up some parts. Finally yeah. done. Good so, to good to chat. Yeah, always. See you Thanks, next man. time. Bye. Bye.